So they had to let me preach today. Everybody else is gone. (laughs) I'm cutting up. And we're going to take a break from Revelation. What? Yes. And I'll just be honest with you. I didn't mind that. It's okay. We're going to be in Acts 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there. If you'll remember, um, back in July when we started the elder nomination process, we took a Sunday to talk about elders in the church, who they are and the importance of the elders. Uh, so it's appropriate that we would take some time right here in the beginning of October. It's the month of deacon nomination for us to talk about who a deacon is and what a deacon does in the church. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to turn my phone off. I would encourage y'all to do that too. Don't want Gerald calling me this morning. Um, Act six is where we're going to be. One denominational leader said there's an entire generation of conservative evangelical churches where one would be more likely to find an unfrozen caveman in the congregation than a biblically functioning deacon. And my first thought was, if he saw some of our deacons, he might think that he's seen some guys that are unfrozen. Uh, 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 un- I didn't mean to look at you, Charles. Unfrozen cavemen um, <laughs> that are biblically functioning deacons. We have those. We have men serving as deacons um, that are serving biblically. And I, I've just... I want to call you out right here at the beginning. If you're one of our deacons right now, uh, please stand. I want, to, I want to see who you are. I want to know who I'm picking on. Yeah. Man, y'all were slow to acknowledge that. Okay, thank you guys. All right, yeah. We're thankful for them. Let's talk about first, right here all in the beginning, let's talk about what deacons are not. They're not a board. We call it the deacon body. It's, it's not a group that hands down dictates from a boardroom. They're not managers of the church, although they may lead a particular ministry. They're not representatives of the church members. Deacons are not elected to serve the whims or the wishes of the constituents. Deacons are elected to serve God by serving the body of Christ with servant leadership. They are lead servants. Deacons are To help the elders, pastors, tend to and care for the flock by serving the flock. It should be said at this point, let me explain. If you're new here, uh, we are a Baptist church. We are congregationalist. That means that the ultimate authority in this church resides in the entirety of the congregation. However, the congregation looks to individuals who hold certain offices for leadership. And here at Westwood, we have elders slash pastors slash overseers. That's all one office in the Bible. Okay. And shepherds, that's that's that same office. And we have deacons. And I'm thankful to be serving with elders and deacons who know our calling is not to be on a board that takes care of business, but instead understands that our calling is to take care of the flock. The body of Christ, his church. So what, where do we get the office and the ministry role of the deacon from? Where does that come from? The first deacons were chosen 
for the early church in Jerusalem there in Acts 6. And the important role that good and godly deacons play in the life of the church cannot be overstated. They are essential to the health and the gospel focus of God's church. And Paul lays out the necessary qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3. And we're going to spend some time there this morning, too. So we're going to start in, in Acts 6. And, and again, you're being asked through the month of October to submit deacon nominations. I'm pretty sure the forms were put out on the table in the Welcome Center. Um, and so it's appropriate that we take some time this morning to talk about this. The backdrop. Let's understand the backdrop. How did the office and role of the deacon come about? Look, look with me at Acts 6, starting in verse 1. Now, in these days... Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. Whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Procurus and Taman um, and Nicanor and Taman and Farmanus. I practice that. Farmanus and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sent before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So let's consider what's going on here in the early church. The church was growing fast. We know at Pentecost, Peter preached, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Around here, we'd say, that's a big church, isn't it? That's the first day. Okay. Later in Acts 4, we're told that many of those who heard the message believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. That was just the men. The church is growing. Luke tells us several times through this book that the church is growing and he would give numbers. But when there's growth, there'll be problems. That's natural. But those problems can be opportunities, too. Opportunities for health and growth of the body. And something else we need to be aware of in this culture and in this time, being a widow, especially a widow without sons, that was very, very difficult. That left the, the woman without means to take care of herself many times. And life could be very difficult. The church took very seriously the responsibility to take care of orphans and widows, as we see in James 1.27. James calls it true religion, to take care of those in need, particularly, and he names those two. And here in this early church, there rose a complaint. Now, that never happens at Westwood. That laughter should have been more than that. <laughs> that makes me wonder if you've got a complaint. Um, yeah, there rose a complaint. This is encouraging to me. This is the early church. 
The pastor's elders were the apostles. They had walked around with Jesus for three years. And they're dealing with complaints. I know I shouldn't be too encouraged, but I am. I'm encouraged. But here's the reality. That happens. And problems aren't always necessarily the cause of the result of sin. Sometimes problems are arise for other reasons. And for this, this, it appears that there was a human limitation here. They just couldn't do it all. The apostles just couldn't handle all of the work. And obviously, they took this complaint very seriously and they responded. And some of the widows' needs weren't being met. Was it because the apostles didn't care for the widows? Of course not. Every problem, again, isn't the result of sin. And so... When we, it makes me think of when we came to the point of thinking about changing the leadership here at Westwood several years ago. And Gerald talked about that um, back in July. There were two things that really led us to that point. First, it was Scripture. We see these offices in Scripture. And the more we looked at that, the more we felt like that's what we need to do. But secondly, there was this practical reality that we were asking men to serve as deacons here at Westwood, but we were really asking them to serve as elders and deacons. And we were asking them to do more than was humanly possible. And what we found was some guys were really gifted to serve as deacons. And some guys really had giftings that were more like what you would expect of an elder, which was biblical. And we realized we're asking that there is physical limitations that are keeping our guys from doing all we're asking them to do. So that's how we kind of came to that point. So back to Acts 6 in the church in Jerusalem. The, the disciples, who were the elders, pastors of this church, they saw the need, they understood the problem, and, and they came to a divine conclusion. I want you to notice that in the midst of this issue, we see... And it's there, but it's, it's, it's not there, but you see it there. You see love. You see care. You see understanding. You see grace, much grace. You see flexibility. That's one of my favorite words. You, you see, you see all of that in how this is taken care of. By the way, the widows that were being missed in the food distribution were the Greek-speaking widows. The seven men appointed all have Greek names. That sounds like they were culturally aware and they were being sensitive to the realities. And they were demonstrating some wisdom when they appointed these deacons. But it's interesting, as we look at these passages, as much more is said about who these men were to be, that is their qualifications, than what it is they were to do. Consider, and this is my first big point there, the measure of a deacon's life, who he is to be. Now, the qualifications that come out of Acts 6, these seven guys were, were not just any seven guys. They were the gold standard servants in this church of thousands in a little bit of time, in this church of thousands, these men and their dedication to the Lord had, had been demonstrated as such that it was obvious these were the seven that were to lead this ministry. 
One person put it this way. The congregation chose its best to care for its least. But these were men, these were men and, and there were three qualifications listed here in Acts 6. They were men of good reputation. They were respected. To know this person is to know that they are a good and godly person. He's thought of well by others. He has a history of treating others with kindness and respect. And, and those who know him are going to be quick to say, oh yeah, he's a great, great man. Secondly, he's full of the Spirit. Now, every follower of Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit at the time of their conversion, at the time that they come to Christ. But to be filled with the Spirit means to be under the control and direction of the Holy Spirit. It says that the person is walking with God. He's abiding in God's presence. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you're not responding in the flesh. You're responding in, 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 and acting in ways that honor the Lord that are in obedience to his word and that demonstrate God's love to others and how you treat others. If you're filled with the spirit, you're going to display the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5:24, you don't have to turn with me, but I'm going to turn over there for a second. Galatians Well, I thought I was going to turn over there. I'm going to do it off my head. I've, I've got it. Here Galatians 22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Think about, these are supposed to describe the deacons, okay? So deacons, this might be a little convicting. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Man, that's a lofty list. If you really spend time in that list, I think all of us would be convicted. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And you see that in Galatians 5, verse 22 and following. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus, in verse 24, says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's living in the Spirit. It's displaying the Fruit of the Spirit, led by the Lord, not the flesh. Not being selfish, but being selfless. That's being full of the Spirit. And thirdly, we see these men were full of wisdom. I heard it said, growing old is mandatory, if you're breathing. Growing old is mandatory, but growing wise is optional. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing, but you can make some decisions without knowledge. Maybe you can decide what to eat for lunch without, without uh, wisdom. You'll need some knowledge. I don't know. You might need some wisdom, too, depending on where you go. Um, but wisdom is more than knowledge. It's not moral goodness, but having wisdom will encourage good morality. I've always heard wisdom defined as the practical application of knowledge, knowing how to Live out what you know. That's a good definition. Um, how about this? Pastor James Merritt came up with this. Wisdom is seeing life through the eyes of God and living life in the will of God. I like that. Seeing life through the eyes of God and living life in the will of God. Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all 
that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is that valuable. In the New Testament, we understand wisdom a little bit more. It's, it's a little bit deeper than that. First Corinthians one twenty four says Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians two, three in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So these first deacons were men who knew Jesus. They had access to through him to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They had access to that. They loved God with their minds and they applied what they knew from Jesus and from his word to how they lived. They knew how to live and how to process life through the eyes of faith in the word. And let's let's turn over to first Timothy three. First Timothy three. Starting in verse eight. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued or Hypocritical, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we're not going to walk through that verse by verse. We don't have time, but I want to uh, summarize that. Uh, We're talking about a dignified man, a well-respected man of godly character, good reputation. He's he's not uh, he's not hypocritical in how he lives. And like the list for elder, greed and drunkenness are reasons for exclusion from this role in the church. They both need to know sound doctrine and have some spiritual maturity. However, in the verses before that Gerald looked at before, we're told an elder can't be a new convert, whereas the deacon must be tested first and proven to be mature. Both are to have good Christian homes and marriages. Now, verse 11 speaks to the wives or or women. Likewise, the word likewise suggests that everything that has been said applies and then applies to the women as well. But then four specific things are added. Dignified. Well, we know that when we see it, don't we? We all know dignified, well-respected women, not slanderers. Some folks like juicy gossip. Watch it. Uh, Sober-minded. That is self-controlled, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We just talked about that. And faithful in all things. And faithful in all things is, man, if this list wasn't heavy enough, that kind of, that's like a catch-all there. If, If we happen to miss anything, faithful in all things covers everything. What a list. And, I, and I, I'm going to touch on this just for a second, but there's a debate about women deacons. And it's not just a liberal versus conservative debate. For time's sake, I'm not going to go too deep into this. But we do hold here to biblical 
complementarianism. We hold to that view that holds that the two sects, two sexes are equal, but different. They have different roles and responsibilities. The word complement means something that completes or makes perfect, that makes a whole. And we believe that women are gifted to serve and are essential to the function and the health of our church. As one author explained it, men have a responsibility to exercise headship in their homes and the church family. And Christ revolutionized the definition of what that means. Authority is not the right to rule. It's the responsibility to serve. That's that's biblical authority. Our elders have the authoritative service role at Westwood. And as it's been said before, our approach to this is to see that the man and his wife, the two being one in marriage, serve together. The deacon cannot serve well without his wife complimenting and working alongside him. And if you want to discuss this further, come to me after. I'll be glad to talk to you more about that. But back to the list. Unlike the elder list, the deacon is not charged with teaching doctrine necessarily. However, I do want to zero in on verse 9. Look at verse 9. The deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What does that mean? It means they know what they believe. They know their way around the Bible. Now, they have a clear grasp of the gospel. The deacons are doers. They get it done. They make sure that the work of the church works. They're willing and ready to jump in and help with whatever the task but they also know the faith. They know their they they know the gospel. They have a clear understanding of the gospel and they can explain it. They can point others to Jesus. They don't just know about the faith. They know the person of our faith. They know Jesus personally. And they've demonstrated in their lives repentance and faith and growth in holiness. To hold the faith with a clear conscience means that they're living out this faith. That's what it means. It's not just in what they say. It's not what, just what they do at church. It's who they are and it's how they live. That's what it's saying. And what we see in these two passages, we see much more about who the man is than what he does. Deacons don't clock in and out. It is who you are. You're a servant of God's church. You're a lead servant in God's church. To be a deacon, holiness and faithfulness is required, but all believers are called to holiness and faithfulness. We'll come back to that. Second point, the responsibilities of a deacon's role, what he is to do. Now, the responsibilities were revealed in three ways. First, their name. In, in Acts 6, you don't actually see the noun deacon. We don't see that until 1 Timothy. But you see the role, and you see them deaconing. They're serving. The word literally means to wait on tables. They're serving. That's significant. And that tells us a lot about the responsibility here. And in Acts 6, secondly, we look at what they did. They ministered to the widows. That was significant for a lot of reasons. We'll break that down in a few minutes. But 
They helped to care for the needy. But I don't think they were just doing that. I think they were also grabbing others and saying, come on, come on. I need your help doing this. And they were bringing others along to serve. They were being lead servants. You think about thousands in this church and this church is growing and growing. It wasn't just these seven men that were distributing the food. It wasn't just these men that were meeting the needs, but they were the lead servants and they were bringing others along. We also see them serving at tables when they serve us communion. They're serving then as well. The third way the responsibility is revealed here is it can be implied through the qualifications. Not greedy for dishonest gain, blameless, managing their own house well, faithful in all things. This sounds like men that could be trusted with the offering. Maybe, maybe not here at Westwood, but that's that was a joke. I was, I'm, I'm joking, Brent. I'm joking. Yeah, these guys can be trusted with money. They can be trusted to distribute money or food or whatever. These are trustworthy men. And someone might say, oh, deacons are just servants. Well, that's that's the world's way of looking at this. There's no such thing in God's kingdom as just servants. No such thing. Jesus turned this on his head like he did a lot of things. He turned this on his head. Jesus told his disciples, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And we're told that Jesus was the suffering servant. He's the servant of all. But Jesus is also king of kings and Lord of lords. You with me? To be called a servant of Jesus is not a slam. That's a high calling. And all followers of Christ are called to be his servants. How do you serve Jesus? You do it by serving others in his power and and by his name, on his name. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with soul, and your mind. And second, like it, to love your neighbor. How do you love God? How do you demonstrate love for God? By loving others. How do you serve God? You serve God by serving others. Are you with me? Amen. And every believer is called to serve. But deacons are to be leaders. There is no spiritual leadership without service. That service can take multitude of forms. But it's extremely important to the health and the vitality of the church. So what does that look like? Here at Westwood, it's primarily deacons served by primarily um, intentionally loving and caring for specific families that are their deacon family. They look after those families. And by doing this, they're helping the elders care for and tend to and account for your spiritual and physical well-being. Deacons can do a lot of things. They can carry out different servant ministries. They they can lead in serving on temporal issues and, and needs of folks. I've already mentioned serving at the Lord's table, setting up different ministries when there's a need, certainly visiting the sick. Meeting the practical needs of shut-ins and widows, bringing a meal at a moment of crisis in a family's life, or setting up a meal train, praying with a couple who has had a family issue, 
sharing with a, a brother some scripture that God has put on his heart about uh, an issue that brother's having. Speaking the word into brothers and sisters. All of these things done to encourage and equip the saints to serve. All of these things done to ensure that there's unity in the body. All of these, all of these done to advance the gospel, the purpose of our church. And this, this kind of servant leadership is way more significant than any kind of corporate board. A deacon is to be ready and willing and, and ready to serve. He's not just a servant. There's no such thing. Being a deacon means serving. But all believers are called to serve. And let me tell you, when our guys are serving, it is encouraging to me. It is a blessing to me, but it's also a blessing to you guys. And I've seen it. When you see somebody else serving the Lord, you're encouraged to serve the Lord. And it creates an atmosphere of service. The attitude of service that our deacons have encourage and inspire all of us to live that way. And that's a blessing. And I can think of, of certain men that come to my mind. And I want to call out Mark Blaylock. He grew up in this church. I bet you don't even know how many years you've served as deacon here, do you, Mark? Probably more years as a deacon than not in your life. And he's been faithfully serving this church. I think of uh, one of our senior saints, Gene Ross. Gene Ross served as a deacon for many years. And Gene was retired when many of the other deacons weren't. And he said, guys, let me know if somebody needs visiting in the hospital, I'll be there. If they're having surgery, let me know, I'll be there. And we even gave Gene business cards because he was on it. I mean, he was, he was deacon on call. And, and honestly, it got to the point where if, if Gene couldn't be there, they were like, well, I guess a visit from the pastor will be okay. You know, people wanted to see Gene. Yeah, I mean, we've seen and we've been blessed by deacons. And that's the way it should be. Deacons stepping in and serving in this way. I've got a third point to add to your, to your outline. I gave this to Yvonne and then I changed it. So your third point, if you're keeping score at home and you want to write this in, the third point is the results of deacons' service. The results of deacons' service. And that is the blessings on the body of Christ. In Acts 6, the deacons that were appointed stepped up and they stepped in and the ministry was met. And it was an important ministry. When you're hungry, getting food is a big deal. And it meant a lot. But that wasn't the only ministry these deacons did. And this isn't the only ministry that deacons have done through through the ages. We know two of these deacons. We hear about two of these deacons as you go on through Acts. Stephen, if you read the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7, was the first martyr we see of the early church. And many would say he displayed Jesus more than any other person in the Bible. Stephen. He was one of the first deacons. These are, these are servants of the Lord that God uses in mighty ways to bless others and build his kingdom up as he builds his church up. It's very important. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. The body was blessed as needs were met. Secondly, a result of the deacon service, unity was restored. This need not being met in Acts 6 was causing division. And we don't know exactly. It it certainly seems like it was just a, a matter of human limitation, but it was causing a problem. And it was a matter that that needed to be dealt with. And after the deacons were chosen to serve, it says the people were pleased. I want you to picture this now. This is the first church conference of First Baptist Church, Jerusalem. And they called all the disciples together. Some one commentator said there was 8000 people there. Al, how do you do a sound system back then for 8000? 8000. And they have this meeting and that's what we read in Acts chapter six. And that was the result. And unity was restored. Listen, deacons are shock absorbers for the body. They see a problem and they solve it. They're peacemakers. They help the body function. And unity is extremely important. And when the deacons are providing servant leadership, issues are fewer. And unity is more likely to be experienced in the body. Thirdly, in Acts 6, and this is a big one. The disciples were able to focus on their primary calling and their ministry and their work of preaching and praying. Matt uh, Smuthurst, uh, in his book on deacons, uh, talks about how Satan had tried to destroy the church with persecution from the outside and from uh, moral corruption from the inside with Ananias and Sapphira. And now he tries a third time and he quotes John Stott, who said, The devil's next attack was the cleverest of the three. Having failed to overcome the church by either persecution or corruption, he now tries distraction. If he could reoccupy the apostles with social administration, and I would add disunity as well, which, though essential, was not their calling, the social administration, they would neglect their God-given responsibilities to pray and preach, and so leave the church without any defense against false doctrine. It was a big deal. The apostles chose to stay focused on the whole church's spiritual warfare. And Matt Smothers also says a church without deacons may lack help, health, but a church without biblical preaching cannot exist. That is, in fact, there is no such thing as a church without biblical preaching. Scripture is clear that pastors, elders are to pray and to preach, that's to be the focus. And to, to lead, that is to make disciples. And we see that in Ephesians 2, equipping the saints. We see that in, in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. We're making disciples and, and the elders are to oversee. And that is to take responsibility for the sheep. But in a very practical way, that can be very hard to do when there's too many practical needs that need to be met and are demanding attention. One of the hardest things as a pastor is the reality that there's always more ministry to do. And making sure that the main things stay the main things. I would encourage you to pray for your pastors and elders in that way. That we would do that. But the deacons help make that happen. 
And then the fourth thing we see here is the church was much more healthy, much better functioning because of the ministry of the deacons. And because of them, the pastors were able to focus uh, on their calling to preach and pray. There was unity. The body was healthy and the gospel was going out and the people were coming to Christ and the church was growing. The deacons were important to that. So let's talk about how do we apply this to our lives. Number one, I would ask you to prayerfully consider who you should nominate to serve as a deacon. We have two guys that have been serving as deacons that are now going to be serving as elders. So I know we're going to be electing at least two deacons. So be praying for that. Secondly, let's give the deacons God has blessed us with the proper respect and honor that's appropriate and do them. Let's do that. Third thing, let's help them serve you. Help them serve you. Now, this 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 application point could be called what deacons wished church members knew. So I'm just going to speak to you because I'm aware of this uh, about this uh, out of Hebrews 13, 17. We read, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You have a deacon that's been tasked with caring for and looking out for you and your family. So the question is, how can you make it a joy for your deacon and his wife to serve you? How can you do that? Through the years, I've seen some folks that honestly, um, they didn't want to be served by their deacon. They almost had this sour approach that, bless me, I dare you. Kind of, I mean, I'm sure these people aren't here now, so I can say, bless me, I dare you. It, I think really what it is, is, is pride. It's the kind of thing we do when we say, I'm fine when I'm not fine. You ever done that? Or when you need help, but you say, no, I got it, I got it, I'm fine. When really the reality is, I need a lot of help. You ever been there? One of the frustrations as a deacon is finding out that there was a need and they could have met that need, but they didn't know about the need. Because nobody shared it with them. We need to be willing to be vulnerable and open with each other. We need to be willing to know each other and share life together. Here's what I'm talking about. One of the most frustrating things is... is um, is is not being shared the information when you want to serve. You you would think that the last family that a deacon wants to have on their deacon family list is a needy family. That's wrong. Because they want to serve. They want to serve you. The last the last family they want on the list is a family that won't answer their calls. Are you with me? I feel like I'm stepping on toes and I shouldn't be. We need to be willing to be served. Humble in that way. Make your deacon happy that you're on their list. Invite them over for supper. Invite the tailors too. It'll be wonderful. It'll be great. Let's spend time together, get to know each other. You know, when we're having our deacon family fantasy league and we're trading families, you don't want to be the last ones on the table. I'm joking. We don't do it that way. Okay. (laughs) I'm joking. Okay. (laughs) 
We can't love each other and serve each other if we don't know each other and if we're not willing to do life together. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Your pastors, elders, deacons, we have, we are blessed here. We are so blessed. And we see ourselves as a team and we support each other and we serve each other and we serve and lead together. And it is a blessing to us and it's a blessing to the body. Fourth application point, seek to grow in godliness and faithfulness. Aspire to be qualified to be a spiritual leader. See these qualifications as challenges to you to grow in your holiness and in your your faithfulness. Let me encourage you in that. It's a holy ambition. And I want to encourage you to think about that. My prayer is, as I look across this congregation, that there are many future deacons and pastors and elders and missionaries and Sunday school teachers and life group leaders and ministry leaders That's what I see across this room. Many of the deacons that we have now, they would have never thought they would have been a deacon. But God has raised them up. And God has molded them to be who they are in Christ. And God has put a calling on their lives. Aspire to be growing in holiness and, and faithfulness. To be considered a spiritual leader. And then number five, seek to serve. We're all called to serve. As a member, our mindset shouldn't be, uh, this is where I sit on Sunday morning. It should be, this is where I serve. And this is where I go out to serve. We're all called to serve. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to pray for your deacon. Pray for the deacons in general, but pray for your deacon. We'll do that in a minute. We're going to have a time of invitation. Um, I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward and we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to be down front to pray with you. If you'd like for me to pray with you, the altar will be open. Let's pray and then let's respond as the Lord leads. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word today. Lord, thank you for the gift of our deacons. Lord, thank you for blessing this church as you have. Lord, we see and are thankful For how you led the early church to establish this role and this responsibility. And Lord, we see the blessings in our own church. Lord, we pray for these men. Lord, we pray that you'd bless them, that you'd use them. And Lord, we we pray that you would call us all to grow in our faith. That these qualifications that are listed as... um, are required for this role, Lord, would be encouraging all of us to grow in this way, to grow toward holiness and faithfulness. But, Lord, that we would also see that we are all called to serve. And, Lord, that we would look for ways to do that and we would have a heart to give instead of a heart to receive. That we would look for ways to bless and to be a blessing to others. Lord, thank you for how you put the pieces of the body together. Thank you for the life that we get to share here together. And Lord, uh, we, we pray that this time, Lord, you would speak and that you would lead us to respond in obedience to the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.